All right, all right. Welcome to the Cava Ships Podcast, where we try and cut through the fog in the murk and shine a bit of light on naval and maritime issues of the day. I'm Chris Cavus. And I'm Chris Cervello. The Cavus Ships Podcast is sponsored by GE Marine, a GE aerospace company offering unparalleled power and propulsion for ships from the biggest combatants to the smallest, fastest patrol boats. GE's propulsion solutions are ready for the next generation of sea power. Learn more at geaerospace.com slash marine. And by HII. HII is a trusted defense and technologies partner and the largest aggregator of U.S. Department of Defense cyber data. HII, delivering hard stuff, done right. Coming up, everyone loves trade shows, especially my partner and I. This week, we take an early look at one of the largest shows, the United Kingdom Defense and Securities Export Exposition, or DSCI, held every two years in London. Joining us to preview the show and discuss international maritime issues that will shape the discussion is retired Royal Navy Rear Admiral John Pentreath, DSCI's Senior Naval and Land Advisor. But first, a look at this week's naval news. The U.S. destroyer McFall disrupted attempts by the Iranian Navy on July 5th to seize two merchant oil tankers in international waters in the Gulf of Oman, just outside the Persian Gulf. The tankers TRF Moss, registered in the Marshall Islands, and the Bahamas registered Richmond Voyager, each broadcast distress signals when they were approached by Iranian warships. The McFall was operating in the area and responded, as did U.S. aircraft, including a P-8A Poseidon patrol plane and an MQ-9 Reaper unmanned aircraft. The Iranian corvette Bayondor was one of the ships involved and, according to U.S. Naval Forces Central Command, opened fire with small caliber weapons as it approached the Richmond Voyager, hitting the tanker's superstructure near crew living spaces. The Bayondor withdrew as the McFall approached. U.S. and other partner nations have increased naval patrols in the vicinity in the Strait of Hormuz as Iranian forces have become more aggressive over the past year in trying to interfere with merchant shipping movements. For its part, Iran has claimed, as it did with the Richmond Voyager, that the targeted merchant ship was involved in collisions with an Iranian vessel. Chevron, the U.S. oil company that manages the Richmond Voyager, told the Reuters news agency on July 7th that their ship was not involved in any collision and the company had received no legal notifications. A fire broke out in the early evening of June 29th aboard the big deck amphibious assault ship Bougainville under construction at Ingalls Shipbuilding in Pascagoula, Mississippi. The fire in the island superstructure is suspected to have been caused by a welding accident. Six workers were treated for smoke inhalation, Ingalls said, and the fire was extinguished after a short time. The company said damage to the ship was largely limited to the affected compartments, and no damage was incurred to the rest of the ship. Bougainville is still scheduled for launch later this year, Ingalls said July 7th. The Chinese Navy's hospital ship Daishandao, or Peace Ark, left Zhushan July 3rd to begin a humanitarian medical mission to Kiribati, Tonga, Vanuatu, the Solomon Islands, and East Timor. 126 medical staffers are aboard the ship. The mission is similar to those carried out by the U.S. Navy's hospital ships Mercy and Comfort. Meanwhile, the three ships of the Chinese Navy's 43rd Escort Force, 
destroyer Nanning, frigate Sanya, and support ship Waishanhu continued their visit to West Africa, arriving in Lagos, Nigeria, July 3rd, after visiting Cote d'Ivoire and Ghana. The Russian Navy has canceled further production of the Project 20386 Mercury Corvette, leaving Dursky as the sole completed unit. The TASS news agency said July 6th, construction of the 3,400-ton ship at Servanyaya Wurf in St. Petersburg was considerably prolonged. The ship, armed with anti-ship cruise missiles and with a large flight deck and hangar, were originally intended for the Black Sea Fleet. The former U.S. Coast Guard island-class cutters Aquanec and Adak arrived at Parama, Greece, July 3rd for modernization and reactivation. The two cutters, along with Monomoy and Rangel, have all been transferred to Greece after Persian Gulf service, where they were replaced by new fast-response cutters. And the U.S. Navy announced July 7th that the first three Royal Australian Navy officers to enter the U.S. Navy's Nuclear Power School have graduated, a significant step in Australia's goal to operate nuclear-powered attack submarines. The three RAN officers, two lieutenant commanders and a lieutenant, will next report to Nuclear Prototype Training Unit Charleston to complete Engineering Officer of the Watch Training, which will conclude in late 2023 or early 2024. Following NPTU, the officers will go through submarine officer basic course for approximately two and a half months in Groton, Connecticut, and then be assigned to a Virginia-class SSM to continue their training and qualifications. And that's a look at just some of this week's Naval News. All right, let's move to the discussion portion of the show. The United Kingdom Defense and Securities Export Exhibition or DSCI as many know it, will be held September 12th through the 15th in London. If you are a defense show junkie like Chris and me, this is a must attend show as it brings together commands, technologies, and platforms from across the joint and combined force. DSCI 2023 is the most significant and largest iteration of the show in its 24 year history. The theme for this year is Achieving an Integrated Force, and joining us today to discuss the show is retired Royal Navy Rear Admiral John Pentreath, DSCI's Senior Naval and Land Advisor. Admiral Pentreath is a helicopter pilot by trade, commanding at sea and ashore, including the amphibious ship HMS Ocean and Joint Helicopter Command, before retiring in August of 2020. Admiral Pentreath, thanks for joining the Cavus Ships podcast. Well, Chris, um, can I thank you for that? And uh, it's an absolute pleasure to join the podcast and, and to chat to you, you and your listeners. So, Admiral, as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, DSCI 2023 is September 12th through the 15th. Tell our listeners who may or may not be familiar with DSCI, what could they expect if they uh, want to get over to this show or want to track the clips coming out of the show this year? So DSCI takes place every two years in London in September, and it is the largest integrated um, defense trade exhibition and conference across all the domains. So um, not just maritime. Um, but clearly land, air, space, and cyber. Uh, and um, I think it's unique in the fact that it, it encompasses all, all the domains. It's held in the Excel Centre, which is an enormous exhibition centre in, in East London in the Docklands. And because of the Docklands, 
it, it is um, alongside the Thames and in the dock, we will bring a number of warships and, and run maritime demonstrations as well as obviously everything in the exhibition hall. And that's one of the unique aspects of it. Yeah, Chris and I, every time we go to a show here in the United States, um, we we kind of lament the fact that uh, most of the locations of the U.S. shows don't have uh, that perfect DSCI location where you can bring in warships, where you can bring in all sorts of kit and and show it off. Um, that that's got to be a unique portion of this, other than you know when you just bring in a booth here or a booth there, right? Absolutely, and I think it adds a huge amount to it. Uh, and clearly, you can have you know there are there are naval shows around Europe which are in dockyard ports, um, but they don't bring the air or the land element to it. Um, and by combining all three, I mean, the UK defence focus has been on jointery and combined collaboration work for, for many, many years now. And so it makes sense. And, and the XL in London is just the ideal uh, venue location for it. Um, we welcome delegations from a, around the globe. It is truly a, a global event. Um, obviously, the last one in 2021 was disrupted by COVID. Um, but we took the brave decision to hold it live, but built in a, a virtual element of it as well. And so this year in 2023, um, it's it's a very much a live show again. But because the hybrid, the, the virtual element for those who, who can't make it works so well, we'll be doing that again through the online platform of um, DSCI Connect. Uh, and so whether you come to London or if you can't come to London you can still engage with with you know many aspects of of, of the event um particularly the conference side of it which is obviously broadcast on the website and through DSCI connect but we want to see you there you know <laughs> the more people the merrier fundamentally so sir Chris Cavis here um I, I've been to a few DSCIs uh like you said one of the one of the attractions is uh the warships that come into the Royal Victoria dock um, it's a it's a variety of ships and it changes every year. I know that this is uh, I mean we're still you're still what two months off, so you should have a fairly good idea of, of who you might expect. And I understand that things can always change, but yeah, uh, can, can you talk about what what ships you're you're hoping to to have? So, so I definitely can uh, talk in general generalities. We can't yet give names of ships, and that won't be confirmed until a couple of weeks before the show. Okay. Um, but we have three nations who have confirmed that they'll they'll send frigate destroyer size ships, and that's the UK, obviously, um, the Netherlands are sending a, a ship, and the uh, sorry the the um, Germans are sending a, a frigate, and then we're in discussions with two other nations, and there's a chance of a a Royal Fleet Auxiliary, one of the new support vessels for for maritime security that's just been procured this year. Uh, and, and those awaiting confirmation. So um, at, at least three warships. Um, there'll be a number of smaller patrol vessels as well. Uh, and we're still awaiting confirmation of, of potentially a, a couple more. So the, the dock side is, is shaping up to be um, considerably fuller than it has been for the past couple of shows. Part of the show, of course, is speakers and people talking and presentations. Uh, some years ago, uh, the format used to be that uh, the first day of the show would be that, would be a forum, and not really the trade show. The trade show itself would open the following day. I think the format has changed now, and, you, and you've more interspersed. 
So maybe we talk a little bit about that. But I do remember 2015, I was there, um, a relatively poorly attended event, attended event, and yet one of the most fascinating exchanges I ever saw was a uh, the a Chinese admiral commanding uh, one of their main fleets uh, was was in attendance, as was um, the commander of the Japanese Navy, Japanese Maritime Self Defense Force, and um, uh, tension was 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 uh, palpable. As a matter of fact, an American admiral was dispatched to attend pretty much just to sit between them and try to keep the peace. That's not a joke. That's a, that's a, that's a true statement. He did, he did a great job too, but it was a fascinating exchange um, uh, side by side. You know, it was not all that unusual to see one or the other. It was very unusual to see the two of them on the same panel. Um, that was a, that, that was a very memorable presentation. Um, uh, uh, can you talk a bit about the, the, the forums and some of the speakers yeah, you might have and, and any, I, I, you're probably not going to have anything that good. Uh, but well, we reckon we've, we've got, we reckon we've got uh, a pretty good lineup this, yeah. this year. And as you say, we, we shifted, um, I think, in probably 2019 from the what we call the Day Zero conference, um, which, which was always a bit of a conflict with trying to get the final bits of the, the exhibition open and quite a burden on the speakers who are probably coming to the to the exhibition anyway and, and having to come for an extra day um, to do their, their their addresses. And so for definitely the last two, maybe the last three DSCIs, the, the conference has been woven throughout the the, the trade events. And there are theatres in, in each of the floor plates, in each of the zones. So the maritime, there's a theatre, air zone, there's a theatre, et cetera. Um, and this year we've we've got a very very full um, um, four keynotes each day. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, and then Friday, the last day of the show is slightly different. It's focusing on on future people issues, um, and so the the content is very rich. We've got um, um, just as a flavour of those speaking, all of the UK chiefs of staff, so head of the Army, head of the Navy, um, head of the Air Force, we've got the chief of defence staff speaking. We will have politicians, um, whether it's Minister for Defence Procurement, probably the Secretary of State, although I think the, the final programme is, is waiting to be exactly confirmed. Uh, and then a, a, a broad range of international speakers. So... Um, from NATO, I think Di Sakior is is coming to speak, uh, um, and there'll there'll be others as well. Final confirmation, not quite there yet, but but it's looking, um, you know, extremely rich in in terms of the keynote addresses. Then throughout the show, again, there there are a large number of of panel discussions and and other talks going on in, in all of the domain theatres, zone theatres. Um, as well as a huge amount of online activity through DSEI Connect. So there's going to be, I think, um, um, sort of two channels being recorded with, with both panels and um, individuals speaking in that as well. So, I mean, there's literally something for everybody. The DSEI website um, has details and we'll have more and more mature details as we get closer to the show. So that's the place to to you know, go and check out exactly what is going on on each day, um, and if there's a particular subject that's of interest to your your listeners, then they can either come to London on that day. I mean, preferably come to London on all all four days, but uh, 
that that might be overkill for them. But but if they can't make it to London for that particular one, then it will be online as well. Let's shift a little bit from the specifics of the show to you know maybe the trends that are shaping how the show is coming together. Um, we try periodically to have uh, Royal Navy guests on the show, but it, uh, honestly, it's been uh, probably a few weeks since we've, you know, uh, have gotten into Royal Navy issues. Can you talk a little bit about big picture issues that will help, you know, shape some of the show discussion? You, you mentioned that the chief of naval staff will be there. Um, what, what is on his mind, you know, if you could forecast or what are the, the Royal Navy um, members, what are they focused on that maybe our listeners should know about? Yeah, so I think there are a, a number of um, critical issues for the Royal Navy. And I don't suppose that's very different to most other navies around the world at the moment. Um, that There's obviously an awful lot going on in the technological domain, whether it's autonomy or AI or big data or quantum computing, you know, the implications of all of those, I think, are of, of deep interest to, to the Navy. Um, there's an awful lot of experimentation going on in order to try and speed up the development of some of these new capabilities, speed up the, the understanding, the implications of, of, the, of these technologies and, and where they can help, where they might be of you know, use to an adversary um, and therefore how to counter that. So technology features large. And um, again, you know, that's a big part of DSCI. The, the future tech hub is one of the areas which have grown um, hugely over the last couple of shows um, and bringing in these perhaps not traditional defence companies into the, the defence domain. So um, for the Royal Navy, technology is hugely important. Um, collaboration and partnerships, which have always been important. So that's, a, a, a you know, of um, uh, maybe not increasing importance, but but continuing importance. And you know, for the Royal Navy, it's it's involved in all sorts of of um, agreements and partnerships around the world. They were celebrating a few weeks ago the 50th anniversary of the UK Netherlands Amphibious Force, for instance. Um, the 60th anniversary of the Polaris Agreement. Um, they will come on to, and talk later, perhaps, about the sort of tilt to the Indo-Pacific. But the Five Powers Defence Agreement and, and other fora there. Um, are, are remaining hugely important. So, um, sir, can I, can, can I ask, what's, yeah, yeah. The, what's the impact of the Ukraine war on this? So, so, is this I mean, the first Ukraine, DSI since the war? Lots yeah. and lots more unmanned systems. Lots of, yeah. lots of munitions are getting a lot of publicity that didn't get that kind of publicity before, um, yeah. including some serious UK uh, ordnance. Um, can you talk about that? Yeah, I, I, I can, definitely. Um, can I just go back to the just finish off on the the previous question because I'm sorry, sure. the, the other no 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 it was a good prompt, um, but I think the other area that is that is always important to the Royal Navy and I suspect every other navy is its people uh, and you know the next generation of of sailors and marines in in, in the British case um, trying to attract the right people trying to offer a, a career that is um, um, fulfilling and, and, you know, keeps them serving is, I think, a massive challenge at the moment. Uh, and, you know, as, as the, the whichever generation we're on, X, Y, Z, millennials or whatever, um, 
you know their needs are different and so so the navy is uh, and the final day of the of the conference is focused on on people and um you know trying to work out answers to some of the challenges and and so um i th i think you know that will be of interest to to w whichever nation fundamentally because i think um all nations have, have got similar problems so so people technology partnerships collaboration i think that is probably the first sea lord the chief of naval staff will We'll spend a fair bit talking about uh, those subjects. Um, the Ukraine um, war and you know Russia's abhorrent invasion. I think in the maritime space, I mean, clearly most of the 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 focus of the war is in the land domain, but the maritime is is hugely important, and we're seeing that with the export of or, or you know disruptions to the export of U Ukraine's grain and such like so as well as you know vast number of the missiles russia's using to to you know attack ukraine coming from from ships and and um from the sea and so um i i think in the maritime domain it's been maybe more aware of the threat from russia for slightly longer um and you know in the north atlantic um certainly when I was still serving so three four years ago um the, the Royal Navy was very focused on Russian activity in the North Atlantic and particularly submarine activity now clearly during the Ukraine war we have not seen um Russian submarine activity at the forefront of of operations and particularly their their you know nuclear boats have been doing what they always do and that's that's nothing to do with with the Black Sea um, so I think the Royal Navy has been pretty aware of the, the threat um, for quite some time. Um, we, you know, in the land domain have seen um, the Russian army being fundamentally, you know, pretty corrupt, not well led, um, not able to to sort of learn lessons and, and adapt particularly quickly and not very innovative. And I think it's quite easy to assume that um, the, the maritime threat from Russia is equally inept. And, and you know, looking at, at the Moskva, you can definitely make that leap. But I think their submarine force is, is in a different lead to the rest of the Russian military and a, a threat that shouldn't be underestimated. Um, in terms of the other lessons from the maritime elements of, of the Ukraine war, I mean, the importance of trade and keeping trade routes open, the, the ease of disrupting that, um, the use of autonomous um, maritime vehicles, I think has been fascinating. Um, I think Ukraine's ability to adapt and innovate and outthink has been interesting i think western navy's the ability to to think and adapt is probably one of the key lessons you know ships are vulnerable if they're not part of a layered defense and i mean it's no different to a tank is vulnerable if it's not part of a layered defense so i think it's for me it's learning the right lessons from it um rather than learning the wrong lessons and it's probably quite easy to to or, or certainly you know if people are running agendas it's quite easy to to pick up the wrong lessons um so I, so i think it's the ability to look and learn and adapt and think and and challenge yourselves 
I mean, poor old Ukraine barely has a navy, and and so hence the maritime domain perhaps not being at the fore. But if they did have more of a navy, more of a marine amphibious force, they could threaten differently. They could be slightly more manoeuvrist and and agile. But you know, they are where they they find themselves, sadly. Sir, in the in the time we have left, I, I do want to just touch on the Indo-PACOM uh, area for us, the Indo-Pacific, um, be, because I think what what our audience has really taken note of over the last two years that we've been doing this podcast is, uh, I mean, it, it is very much um, filled with allied and partner actions, whether it's um, you know, uh, freedom of navigation exercises, whether it's participation in multinational exercises, whether it's the AUKUS deal. I mean, th- this is not just the United States and China um, sort of competing over there. I mean, the, the UK has played a significant role, France, uh, uh, other partners. Um, what uh, what trends are you um, looking at or incorporating into the DSCI discussion as it pertains to the uh, Indo-Pacific? Yes. So, um I'll just take you take you back a, a, a step to some of the sort of UK policy. So in 2021, the integrated review, which was a sort of five yearly defense review, w- was published. And that was a um you know denoted a little bit of shift in UK defense policy. Um not so much away from Europe, because it, it wasn't it wasn't a a a, a tilt i don't think or maybe maybe a tilt is the right word it wasn't more of one and less of another it, it was it was you know stay with europe that is critical and vital uh, and even in 2021 it identified russia as as the, the nearest closest most immediate threat but in the long term it identified china as as a significant um threat to to our western values and and way of life which needed to be countered through a wide range of of you know state action, be it economic, um, defense, security, partnerships, etc. That the whole um, sort of gamut of of government ability to to do something. That review was refreshed in the light of the Russian invasion of Ukraine over the past year or so, and the refreshed version of the integrated review published earlier this year, um, a, a couple of months ago. Uh, and that um, sort of confirmed the view that China poses the greatest long-term risk to 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 our values. Um, and so, over the past two or three years, we have seen a bit of a shift in focus in this country to doing more and trying to build more relationships with friendly nations out in that region. Um, and as you say, be it freedom of navigation patrols. I mean, in 2021, the um, HMS Queen Elizabeth carrier group um, with, with you know, multinational escorts, a US escorts, a uh, Dutch Navy, I can't remember now, um, escort as well, um, you know, traveling to, to the Pacific re- region to um, um, conduct all sorts of exercises, operations, uh, and defense diplomacy. Uh, and then, as you rightly point out, AUKUS, um, two years ago, announced actually during DSCI um, in, in 21, the first announcement of the AUKUS agreement. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, it's um, it's a painful fact, isn't it, I guess, that, that not all countries in the world share our values and want the same 
you know, sort of peaceful, prosperous, secure world that that we want. Uh, and we need to counter that through all arms of government. And that's partly, so So the DSCI theme of achieving an integrated force, it's not just a, a, a Army, Navy, Air Force force. It, it's a... Um, a all the the arms of government so making sure the foreign office and the ministry of defense and the trade departments all talk and act with with one voice um but but equally with friendly nations whether allies or just friends we do more in order to ensure that that our values um um can be maintained and so it's interesting i mean and great i think that your audience in the us has noted that european countries are are more prepared to be more involved in that part of the world well that's the one thing as you walk around dsci um it is uh eye opening just certainly how prepared the uk uh military is but as you interact with uh with partners and allies other than the united kingdom you you really are are, are left uh, with with that sense um I don't know how you get it all in in four days, just like I don't know how we got everything in in, in this conversation, but I very much appreciate uh, you joining us. Uh, we've been talking to DSCI's Senior Naval and Land Advisor, retired Royal Navy Rear Admiral John Pentreath. Um, if our audience is interested, and they should be, in going to DSCI, get over to dsci.co.uk backslash register. Um, you can register for the variety of different opportunities that they have. We'll put that in our uh, podcast right up. But Admiral, thank you very much. And, uh, you know, hopefully you'll come back and talk to us after the conference. Or if we're lucky enough to get Chris over there, we're working hard to get Chris over to DSCI. Hopefully uh, he can spend some time with you while he's in London as well. That would be great. It's been a real pleasure talking to you and, and absolutely hope to see you and many of your listeners in London in September. Thank Thanks, you, Admiral. Well, that does it for this week. As always, our thanks go out to Vaga Maradian and the Defense and Aerospace Group for their support. Cavish's podcast sponsored by GE Marine, a GE aerospace company offering unparalleled power and propulsion for ships from the biggest combatants to the smallest, fastest patrol boats. GE's propulsion solutions are ready for the next generation of sea power. Learn more at geaerospace.com marine. And by HII. HII is one of the largest artificial intelligence and machine learning federal contractors to the U.S. government. HII, delivering hard stuff done right. Be sure to follow us at Cavish Ships on Twitter. And remember, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Cervello. And I'm Chris Cavish. Thanks for listening. And bye-bye. <laughs>